and welcome to episode 20 of the IntelliCast podcast. My name is Adam Jolly. Joining me as always is Brian Lamar. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing so stinking good. Oh, yeah? I really am. Um, I don't know why. I Maybe I just, I just I feel impassioned right now. I... Uh, it's warm outside. It's beautiful. Work seems to be going really well. How about you? Same thing. We're getting ready to go to the conference soon, so I'm ramping up for that. I only have like a few days in the office left before I go out of town. Visiting my brother on the way to the conference. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Love summer. Uh, summertime. Um, anything going on in your life uh, personally? What are you doing this weekend? As you're getting every so. We're talking about IAX, right? That's the conference we're going to. Starts uh, June 11th. I think the 10th, the night before, there's something yeah. going on uh, in Atlanta. You love Atlanta. Spend some time in Atlanta. Your brother yeah. lives in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, what What are you doing in Atlanta? Are you going down there early or what? Yeah, I'm going down Friday, hanging out. My brother has a, a boat on a lake, so we're going to be all get sunburned for the Sweet. conference. Yeah. That's exciting. Hoping to maybe see a little Casey Musgraves in concert, maybe a Braves game, maybe a, an Atlanta soccer game. There's so much to do there. There's a lot to do in Atlanta. Uh, I love Atlanta. I don't know why. Um, it doesn't make sense that I would love Atlanta. That's true. Right? Yeah. I mean, it is it is the South, but it's not really the South because no one's from Atlanta and, like, stays in Atlanta. Yeah. At least not in, like, the parts of town of Atlanta where we're gonna, nobody in, like, Midtown or Buckhead or things like that, right? Um, or, like, I guess Alpharetta. Like, people go <laughs> and they stay at Alpharetta. Um, but it's so much of, like, a, a, a commuter-type city, like a transplant-type city. But there's so much... I mean, you have every major sport, every concert venue, every, like, small concert. Like, even, like, Eddie's Attic out in, like, Decatur. Like, you can see, like, some small up-and-coming band-type playing. I just... I love the town. And decent food, too. It does have underrated food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else is going on with you? What, what are you interested in? Sports? Um, I'm all into sports right now, NBA playoffs, um, hockey playoffs I'm into, but this starts the time of year where, so the playoffs you know, two weeks ago when there's a different game every night, two or three games a night, you can just watch sports all night long, it's starting to die down a little bit and that starts getting me into this like panic mode. Because Sunday's curious, yeah. Because it's like, oh, pretty soon all we're going to have is like NASCAR and baseball. Sure. And so I got to start finding some stuff on Netflix. I agree. There is it's uh, on another podcast they call the Sunday scaries when like the NFL season starts to dwindle down and you start to think, oh, what am I going to do on Sundays now? Yeah. Like, what do I do to ramp up? And you got so the NBA finals start tonight on Thursday, um, and then you know in two weeks they'll be done. We were actually in IEX. We watched the finals final game last year, right? Together, and then you have baseball with games that don't matter, right? NASCAR that never matters. Yeah, like tennis, World Cup. World Cup this summer. That'd be great. Yeah. But when, how's the U.S. going to do? U.S. <laughs> uh, is not uh, there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I guess soon is the British Open. It's usually around Father's Day. Um, U.S. Open. Yeah. Golf. Man. This yeah. starts to struggle a little bit. <laughs> no. But there is... Um, other soccer in town. And there's a big announcement oh, yeah. this week for Cincinnati. Big announcement for us. And that yeah. what's that, Brian? Yeah, so um, FC Cincinnati was the local minor league soccer team. And then earlier this week, they were announced as the, I guess, 24th MLS team, which is big news to Cincinnati. We're kind of a small to mid-tier market. So getting into uh, the MLS is a big deal because, obviously, it's a growing sport. It's a As the country gets more diverse, it's becoming much more popular. So I'm super excited. I'm super stoked. They start next season. So we'll probably see, like, Wayne Rooney and, you know, LA Galaxy and maybe some international teams here. It'll be really cool. I'm super excited. Uh, For one, it is a clean slate for sports fans in this town. (laughs) 
They can really jump onto something that really has no history of bad or good and can really ride it in. The other thing I like is that, um, to me, MLS in particular, because of the level of play and just what it is, it's more of an event than a sporting sometimes because the level of play is great, but a lot of it is effort to you either have really young players trying to get somewhere or the older players on their downfall. So it is a lot of not so much yeah. grace and technicality of the game, but it becomes more of like an event and going. And yeah. it reminds me a lot of college sports. Yeah. And there is no better place for college sports in the world. I'm telling you, this has come hard to believe, but Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah. Because within a 90-mile, within a 100-mile radius, you have the University of Kentucky, University of Indiana, Ohio State University. I mean, three gigantic universities. Along with that, you're close enough to Notre Dame. You're close enough to Louisville. Then you get into the Dayton's, Wright State, Cincinnati, Xavier, Northern Kentucky, all the schools that are in between. And this this area is so crazy about college sports, whether it be college yeah. football, college basketball. Yeah. And MLS kind of touches on that a little bit. And if yeah. you go to a game, it's very much the yeah. type of atmosphere that you would get at not an Ohio State football game. That's too much. But maybe a Kentucky football game or a Louisville football game. Yeah. Um, not everybody's super intoxicated and falling over themselves like an Ohio like an yelling OH. Yeah, at the game because you can still bring kids there yeah. but it's definitely something I love that and then the last part is just what it's going to do for youth soccer in this area Yeah, um, having two kids I have a six and a three year old not really sure what sports they're going to play but really the biggest options are football, basketball, baseball always you play soccer until you're like 10 and this gives another option yeah. I think it's going to help grow youth soccer in the area get better coaching get better resources for kids and give them you know, the reason to play I mean the reason why I played baseball was seeing, you know, Nolan Ryan and Nomar Garcia Perra and those type of guys play and like yeah. I wanted to be them. And there we don't really have that in soccer in this country. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well another thing and I thought, oh my gosh, how how far can the MLS expand? Can they go to thirty? Can they go to thirty six? And I started thinking, uh and others in other major league sports in America, you can't go that big because it dilutes the talent, right? Right. But then I read an article that said that Oh, they could go to 40 because of the money they're going to make. And also, this is such a global sport. It's not going to dilute the talent. They're pulling talent from all over the world. I mean, literally every corner of the world. But you can't really say that, especially like, I mean, American football. You can't say that. Right. Um, even baseball is somewhat global. Basketball is becoming more global. But you can still, you can see the talent. You can, if you're a big sports fan, you can see like when sports, you know, when they get more teams, the talent's diluted. I don't think that'll happen in soccer. So I'm pretty excited. It's great. I think, and the last thing I met this up, but I think that I'm most interested in with soccer is to see now that the league has grown and it's going to have a bigger audience and we're up to 24 teams now. And there's no doubt in my mind in like five more years, there'll be, you know, two to three more teams. Yeah. Um, is what kind of stance are they going to, are they going to make players stand for the anthem and actually get, I'm just kidding. We're not going to go. <laughs> we're not, not going to do it. We're not going to. I, I, was, <laughs> I was trying to like gauge like the real, like, what is Peterson going to do here? How are we going to edit this out? Um, but no, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, this week, our guest is Kristen Luck. I think it's our biggest guest. She, uh, I don't want to say that because we've had some great guests. I love them all. But she is our first guest with a Wikipedia page. <laughs> okay. so that's something, yeah, that, right? That's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, but Kristen, we're going to talk a little bit about how she got in the industry, how she stayed in the industry, um, different stops along the way, what she's doing now with Luck Collective, and then talk about Wire as well. Um, and we learned a lot, I think, about Wire and... Yeah. Um, it's kind of made me think a little bit more. Like, it, it hurt. the ideals of Wire line up similar to what we try to do with, like, bring go to local universities and get yeah. more and recruit more kids into it, teach them the industry. And if it doesn't work out at EMI, it'll hopefully make it work out somewhere else. Um, 
but super focused at the same time. And I loved it. I loved the, talking with her. She was very engaging. Yeah. She, I was telling you um, in between the interview and this um, that she's probably too good for our industry. Probably. Yeah, sure. Sure she is. We're lucky to have her. Yeah, we really are. And we are lucky to have her on the podcast. Uh, so um, thank you, everybody. Um, enjoy the Kristen Luck interview. Joining us now is Kristen Luck. Kristen, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Thanks for having me. No, nah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, so when I first got into the industry, um, you had basically just gotten just left OTX. It's about 2007. Um, and I don't want to go too far back and like, hey, tell us everything that's ever happened in your life. But for some of the new listeners, maybe some of the people newer to the industry, describe like your background. Like how did how did you start out in the industry and how did you kind of get to where you were now at Luck Collective? Yeah, so... It's interesting because I actually started out in social science research. So I kind of worked my way through college uh, at a little um, uh, social science research firm called uh, Oregon Center for Applied Science. Okay. And uh, this is like back in olden times where uh, you couldn't apply for jobs online. And so when I graduated college, I, I decided I wanted to move um, out, of, out of Eugene, Oregon, which is where I went to school. And so I... Um, I actually bought a LA Times and and applied for a job, you know, like circled the ad in the newspaper and sent my resume in and ended up getting a job at Lieberman Research Worldwide in uh, Los Angeles, which was really my first entry point in, into market research. And it was, you know, I kind of thought it was a, the same thing as what I had been doing, but as it turns out, market research is vastly, vastly different and moves at a much faster pace than social science research. But that was, that was my really my first job out of college and really my first entry point into, into the market research industry. Wow. So, so you get into market research, it, you know, I mean, some, I think for some people and for me, it sometimes too, like when you say things like market research moves faster than you could say anything and I'd be like, no, no way. So you started working in an industry, it's going faster than social. And then, um, I guess, like, what was the next steps? I know there was a lot of, you know, you go from OTX, then you go into the, you were at Forefront, and then that goes to Decipher. Um, what was kind of your path from there? What what were you feeling as you were kind of going through and touching all these different parts of the industry? Yeah, I mean, I think the, really the defining point for my entire career is, is that I really just tend to follow things that I'm really interested in and passionate about. So I ended up leaving Lieberman because I really felt like the whole industry was going to go online, and at that at that time, you know, Lieberman was just not not ready to go online, and so I sort of BSed my way into a job at AC Nielsen to help build their first online research platform, and having no idea of, of really the online ecosystem or how to build an online research platform or anything that, that went into it, and just sort of figured it out as I went, and and that that eventually evolved into leaving and, and you know, starting my own firm, OTX, which I started with a with a business partner and. Uh, and from there, I think it's just a, just a similar trajectory. Uh, after OTX, I was really interested in, in getting more into the uh, data reporting, data visualization, you know, software licensing side of the space, which led me to eventually sell my, my consulting practice that I had started after that to Decipher, and we you know, took that platform into the, into the software space and, and then ended up selling that. So, I, I, And I think that that's the really really the key to success in, in any industry or, or career is 
really pay attention to the things that excite you and that you're passionate about and that, and that you naturally excel at because those are the things you're going to be really good at. You touched on something. It's so weird that you're touching on this right now. I'm, I literally this morning, I'm reading this book down. It's called like In the Corner Office. It's like a collection of essays. Um, but one of the first things they talk about is that see a real a trait that CEOs have to have is this passionate curiosity. And so many times like a CEO might have passion and they might be curious, but putting it together is like a very like hard to find rare trait. And so that you're kind of going back to that, right? It's like, yes, be passionate, be passionate, follow what you like, follow what's interests you, but also be curious in it as well. Um, so that's great. Man, Absolutely. Such a world that you Absolutely. And, and I think too, you know, I, for me, I have to be blindly convinced that something is going to be a rave success in order to really put my, my heart and my energy into it. Because when you're building a business or you're working on a new technology or something that hasn't been done before, it's really a grind. I think from from the outside, a lot of people look at my career path and think like, wow, she's had a whole lot of success. But they don't see all the little failures and the really late nights and the complete disasters <laughs> that go into building those businesses, which, which any founder will tell you, it's, it's just incredibly stressful and it can be toxic to your personal life. And so, so to be just very blindly focused on that and, and know without a doubt that you can make it work is, is really, really important. And to be passionate about it because you don't want to go into a, something where every day you're dreading going into the office or you're like, oh, this feels horrible. Um, right. You want to go into things where, gosh, even if you're working 12 hours a day, you feel really energized by it. Uh, and that's, those are the things that I try to focus on. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, I wanted to talk and, and kind of dive in before we get into what you're doing now to get into Wire um, because it's it's something that's kind of take. I noticed like it takes over my LinkedIn feed. I always get it, it, it even if I'm not like I'm not a woman in research. It still is like very empowering and kind of inspirational to me because it kind of takes the track. Like when we talked about how you get into research, like everyone has a different story, right? And I think a lot of people getting into research is one part, but staying in research is a whole nother story. Um, and I know Wire's played a big part in that. Um, tell us a little bit, like, how did you come up with the idea to start Wire? Um, and where do you kind of draw some of your inspiration there? Yeah, so I didn't really have a real plan when I started Wire, to be okay. honest. Uh, I, I, I had a friend that was uh, living in Los Angeles that was, had just had just moved to L.A. and was part of the research industry. And she called me and said, hey, you know, I'm working in this business. She was in an executive level position and said, I just, I, I only work with men and I only meet men in the business. I don't know any women in the business. Can you introduce me to anyone? And I, I said, gosh, I know lots of women in this business. Um, yeah, I'll just kind of you know, go through my contacts and we'll just get a bunch of women together for cocktails one, one night. And, um, and so we ended up, I think the first one that we did in LA, we had, you know, it was relatively small. We had about 30 women there. Uh, and everyone had such a good time that we decided we were just gonna we were gonna do it quarterly, um, and so we did that for a couple of years. You know, it was just a really informal get together. Uh, in fact, uh, a friend of mine actually forwarded me a couple a couple of weeks ago just did one of the first emails that I had sent out for it, which is really funny when you look at it. It's just like this big list of people CC like we're meeting here for cocktails and make it if you can. So no real formal process behind it. But as as we started doing more of these meetups and 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 women really started valuing them. One of the things that I realized was that in the early stages of my career, I worked almost exclusively with women. And in, in the more executive stages of my career, I've worked almost exclusively with men. 
And, and why is that the case? If you look at the research industry overall, it tends to be more heavy on women than men. Um, and yet women are not making it into the executive um, levels of their careers for whatever reason. Uh, and there's there's lots of different reasons for that. I mean, I, but I think part of it is also, you know, there's this famous saying that you can't be what you can't see. And if women don't see other women in those executive roles and we're not striving for those executive roles and we're not, you know, starting our own companies and we're not moving into the C-suite, it provides a real challenge for other women to get into those roles, to get board seats and to play a more visible role in the executive levels of the career. And so that, that's, the, that's the point where it really pivoted. And, um, and part of that that I had to start letting go of some things. I'm, a, I'm just a perfectionist control freak by nature. Uh, and it got to the point where we were doing, I think we were doing events in six cities. And I was going to every city and hosting every event and doing everything myself. And I just got to a point where I realized if this thing was really going to grow and take off, I couldn't, I couldn't keep control of everything. And I really had to entrust those events with women who were on the ground, who, who were really passionate about the mission of the organization and and, and really wanted to participate and volunteer their time. And so uh, now we run 24 events a year globally. Uh, we're on, um, I think, four different continents now. Jeez. Uh, we've got over 7,000 women involved in the community, and it's completely supported through corporate donations. And here's my pitch for anyone listening. Okay. We do not charge a membership fee. It's not a membership-based organization. All of our content and services are free to the women that participate. And we do that very purposefully to make sure that it's an option for everyone, regardless of where they are in the world, uh, that they're not kept out of education and services because they can't afford to or because they can't get approval from the company for the funding. Uh, so we're, we're supported entirely by corporate donations and sponsorships. Wow. So, so really, this is... It's- I gotta be like this is a little bit different than how I've always thought about it because it doesn't really have to stop at research. It, it's kind of universal, and then you can even break it down by like vertical. So I, I like I've been in, I was in sample sales for ten years, and like very rarely do you run into like a a female sample salesperson, right? And yeah. it's just like <laughs> most of the time it's like a, you naturally see like a project manager or something like that. But it's kind of the same thing. Like it, it's not that there's natural walls. It's just that we something about the industry had like you get put into boxes right yeah and it doesn't have to be just market research as any industry like everyone puts people in boxes and um is, is there a plan like uh, they're probably i mean this is huge but like is there something like does this have to stop at research like could it go in other places oh absolutely and we collaborate with other women's organizations uh you know there's some there's some organizations in new york and los angeles and um in sydney that we collaborate with so uh, yeah, I think it's a universal problem, honestly, for for women. And I think part of it, too, and I can only speak for myself, but I, I, I know in the early stages of my career when I was really focused on research, I didn't, because I didn't go to business school, I didn't have an understanding of what are the things that businesses really value and what are those high-value positions within an organization and what are the skill sets that you need to move into it. You know, I think we, as researchers, we get so focused on research and research skills that we we don't take the time to learn the fundamental business skills that you have to have to move into those executive level positions. Because right. when you go into those positions, you're not doing research anymore. You have to understand business finance. You have to understand marketing and sales and what are the metrics that drive business success. And that's a really different skill set that I think in many times women are not aware of or don't take the time to learn because they're focused on, oh gosh, am I a, a really amazing researcher? 
yes, you are, but you're never going to make it to the C-suite if all you know are research skills. And that's, that's really one of the educational components that we focus on in WIRE is, gosh, how do you learn about business finance? What are the skill sets that you need in order to make it to the C-suite? And how do we connect those women with women who have made it there so that we have a mentoring program and a webinar series and all of these educational tools that really help women get ahead in their career in a, in a meaningful way? In an immeasurable way. We want to make sure we're having a measurable amount of success in the industry. It's not this kind of soft, squishy. We actually know that we're having an impact because we look at it and measure it year over year because we're researchers. Kristen, this is Brian Lamar. And I wanted to mention that I learned a lot about WIRE based upon the podcast you did with Sima Vasa. You were on Data Gurus recently. And, yeah, yeah. And it was great. It was fantastic. So uh, to learn more about um, wire, I would recommend downloading that episode. But w- the one thing I really appreciated about that is you talked a lot about negotiating salary and the importance of other things um, in terms of career advice. And it, it made me think that you're not just like, you know, passionate about wire and women in research. You're a strategist, you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, and you're passionate about causes. And I think that you put all that together, and that's where the kind of the magic happens. And I, I also have to admit, um, I, was, I do rants on this podcast occasionally, and at one point I was like, I'm going to do a rant about Wire. It's going to be kind of a joke, you know, because it's a pink website, and oh my gosh, what are they doing? But it's really my ignorance. So I'm just curious. My question is like, do you, do you get a lot of feedback from men? How do men react to your organization, or do you have any struggles because it's kind of focused on women? Yeah. Well, first off, you'll be pleased to hear that we are uh, unpinking our website. <laughs> We're unpinking our brand overall. And and part of that, and it's, so it's, it's interesting that you just brought this up, is as an organization, one of the things that we've decided starting this year is that we're broadening our remit and focusing on diversity overall. Um, and so it's not not just about women. But I, but I will say that since day one, we've always welcomed men into our events and programming. We have men that sit on our board. Uh, if you look at office hours, for instance, which is our online mentoring program that we provide for women that are in areas where we don't have one-to-one mentoring, uh, those uh, there, are, there are male hosts that we've had on there. So we're, we're really inclusive um, of men. And, and I say that because it's really important, and I, I've seen this happen in other women's organizations where men are not allowed at their events, so they don't participate in programming. It does not work to talk about diversity and women's issues in an all-female box. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's kind of like you're just preaching to the choir over and over again. Women know that diversity is an issue and that we're trying to get ahead. And the, the number one thing that we need are male advocates. We need men involved in the programming. We need men as mentors. We need men participating and understanding that there's unconscious bias that comes into play in organizations. Um, I, I don't think in many cases, and, um, and I can't see many cases where men are actively trying to hold women back, and I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's, you know, everyone suffers from unconscious bias, my, myself included, and I think there's little micro actions that we take day by day that, you know, put some, some groups forward and keep other groups back, and it's just important to be cognizant of that and to understand that we're all we're all striving for the same thing. We all want our businesses to be a success, and um, we all want to make money, or I assume most of us do. Uh, and diversity is one way of ensuring that. It's you know there have been tons of studies that show that more diverse teams you know uh, generate more revenue, um, come up with more innovative products and services, and 
Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's really, we've, honestly, I don't get off a lot of blowback from men on, on why I've certainly had a few people approach me and say like, well, I don't understand why you need a women's organization. I, you know, I know 10 women that are in executive positions. Well, yeah, we all know 10 women that are executive positions. But that's, you know, that's not a substantive, substantial sample. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's important to get men involved. And I hope, you know, if there's any men listening, please reach out to me. We'd love to get you more involved in wire. That's awesome. I wanted to kind of shift gears because a couple months ago I was at my desk and I get an email. It's one of the best intro newsletter emails I've ever got from somebody like this most like soft, comfortable, let down the guard type newsletter emails I've ever gotten. It was from you, Luck, Luck Collective. Uh, so tell us like what's going on with Luck Collective? What's kind of, what are you doing with it now? What are kind of the plans moving forward? Yeah. So I, I, Luck Collective is my consultancy. I, I do growth strategy consultancy and advising for companies, not just in the data insight space, but also for emerging CPG and direct-to-consumer brands. So I kind of have a pretty broad gamut of clients at this point. Um, you know, I'm just, uh, I think I kind of bring a unique perspective to consulting and advising. I mean, I think there's a, you know, there's a number of people, particularly in the insights industry that do advising and um, I, I really enjoy it. I mean, I pivoted into consulting pretty much, you know, as soon as I exited Decipher after we sold to Focus Vision, and I really love it. You know, I, I and I was really intentional about it. Uh, when after we sold the company, I kind of thought, "Gosh, what am I going to do next?" And I think a lot of people thought I was going to start another business right away. And and actually, I just had someone email me yesterday and say, "Like, so, what are you going to do next?" And I was like, "Well, I'm I'm doing it. Uh, <laughs> I'm consulting." Uh, and, and that's very intentional. One of the things that I thought about is, and again, I think this goes back to doing the things that you love and being really focused on things you're passionate about. You know, when I think about the things that I've enjoyed most in my career, it's not really the starting up of companies that I love so much. It's the scaling and the growth. Like those are the really challenging things in, in terms of running and building a business. And I thought, gosh, if I could just work with other founders all day and help them scale their businesses the way that I was able to scale mine, that would really be one of the most fun and rewarding things that I could do. So, um, so that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. And then, and the, the email you got is just fun. You know, one of the things I really love is I love writing. Um, I was a journalism major, double majored in journalism and statistics, which is sort of a weird major, but works out great for research. And, and so, um, and I'm a really avid reader. So for me, it's just a, it's an outlet to, to be able to share my thoughts on uh, growth strategy and business performance and, um, and innovation. And um, if anyone wants to subscribe to it, all you have to do is visit my website and there's a, there's a pop-up right on it. You can sign up for it. That's awesome. Well, we're going to do a shift now into kind of the fun stuff. Um, enough talking about the business and things like that. But Perfect. a lot of times this is like the good part. This is, for the, this is the part that people usually either listen to it like really intently. And if somebody sees you out, they'd be like, oh my gosh, I listened to the same songs or... This is the part where everybody turns off, so whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so first of all, are, are you in Oregon right now? I am in Oregon. Are you like in the Bend area? I am. I What's live the in a best little, brewery bend, in little bend. ski resort town. What's the best brewery in Bend? Oh, boy. Well, it's known. So it's like, doesn't Bend have bend. like the most breweries per capita than any other city in the States? They do. They do. I, I would say my favorite brewery is Silverman. Oh, great. Yeah. It's, a, it's a little tiny brewery. It's kind of hard to find. It's kind of a local special. Um, yeah, they have to make just make a, I'm, I really like Pilsners and Lagers. 
Uh, and they just make a really good Pilsner. The bend has been kind of overrun with IPAs, That's which are a little, hilarious. yeah, a little too hoppy for me. <laughs> um, and Silver Moon just makes a really, just make a real nice lager. So, um, so yeah, that's my favorite brewery. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, so we'll jump into our four P's. This is kind of our take on the marketing mix. We take four words to start with a P and kind of expose on them. So uh, the first one is playlist. So Kristen, what are the last three songs that you've listened to? Yeah, or I'm really artist? glad that you caught me on this because I, I went back and I, I my um, my playlist is really weird. So the yes. last three songs I listened to is a song called Bros by a band called Wolf Alice. Um, and then, uh, the, another one was a uh, classic by the Knox. And then the third one is because I spend a lot of time listening to classical music at my desk was carnival of the animals, which is a cello country. Kind of an odd mix. No, it's great though. I mean, it, it beats, okay. We're like sitting on mounds of these interviews where most of them come to like classic rock or Bruno Mars. So it's nice to have some variety. It's great. Yeah, I'm either listening to alternative rock or classical, so I have a pretty odd, odd playlist on my on my phone. <laughs> so the next P is place. So what place or day is your ideal setting or your happiest place? Uh, you know, anytime I'm in the mountains is my happiest place. If I'm camping outdoors, backpacking, snowboarding, kayaking, that is my happiest place. I'm an outdoor junkie. It's one of the prime reasons that I live in Bend. It's just the proximity to the outdoors. So out, outside, gotta be outside. Love it. Next one is perform. So what is something people don't know about you? What is kind of a hidden talent? Uh, what is something people don't know about me? Uh, I was really into rodeo in high school. It. <laughs> That's great. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a really small town in, in Oregon. Uh, I was really into into barrel racing um and uh so yeah that's my i would say that's a hidden talent although i you know like not an active writer at this point but um but yeah rodeo is really into it i go to rodeo every year i really enjoy it i love rodeos i really like we used to go to when i was a kid all the time my my dad my whole family's in the horse industry and I thought like to kind of spur the family, I would go into rodeo and not the racing part. And I was like, yeah. I want to be like, I want to have like cutting horses. I want I mean, I was super into it. And then you see people get hurt and I don't want to get hurt. So. I do. Yeah. Bounce. I never went into any of the kind of crazy, crazy rodeo activities, but I always did barrel racing and full bending. Uh, I had a really great quarter horse and yeah, I just really, really enjoy it. And I still, I still enjoy going to the rodeo and, um, and seeing some of those events. Uh, but yeah, I guess it's small town, small town USA girl. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So the last thing that we do is person and we do a Mount Rushmore usually. And this is, you came up with the topic this time. Um, so what are your top four favorite global destinations? Yeah, so I spend a lot of time traveling and probably one thing that a lot of people don't know is that I actually live a third of the year in Athens. Greece. Oh, uh, so yeah, so Athens is my, my number one global destination. I love Athens. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful city. So much to do. The people are lovely. The food is great. So Athens is my number one. My second is Istanbul. If you've never been to Istanbul, oh my gosh, what a beautiful city. Just a total combination of East meets West. Uh, again, lovely people, great food. Food is a, a big priority for me when I'm traveling. Uh, Third would be uh, the Maldives. 
if you like a really great beach tropical vacation, you want to see something that might not exist 20 years from now because the Maldives are slowly sinking into the Indian Ocean, uh, I would say get there sooner than later. Beautiful, great diving, snorkeling, um, great beaches. And then my last one is New Zealand. I love New Zealand. Um, I have a client in New Zealand, and I got to visit them a few times in the last couple of years, and gosh, I just love it there. I love it. It's um, great little farmer's markets and beaches, and the people are great. I mean, Kiwis are some of the best folks in the world, so New Zealand's uh, my, my number four. That's awesome. Brian, any of those on your Mount Rushmore? Um, I actually also lived in Athens. Oh, yeah. Athens, Georgia. Same thing. Oh, I was like, what? Really? <laughs> Went to the University of Georgia. Um, my list, gosh, is some great places. Video. That is awesome. The only ones I would like to add were the Athens, Georgia. It is kind of like an international. People say it's yeah. the Greece of the South. <laughs> it really sure. is. Um, Budapest is one of my favorites. Yeah. I love the city of Budapest. I would highly recommend everybody going there. Nice people. Beautiful. Interesting. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Kristen, for joining us today. It was it was great. I, I feel like I got a lot of things answered about not just like the past, but what you're doing at Collect, like, Collective now and Wire. I just uh, I think it's great. And it's any way that we can get more people into the industry and help them not just be in the industry, but stay in the industry. Um, I love it. I, I think it's great. Um, how can people contact you? Do you want to do some plugs, website, social media? Sure. Yeah. Um, you can follow me on social media. I'm on, on Twitter, pretty active on Twitter. My handle's at Kristen Luck. Um, two eyes and Kristen. Uh, I'm also uh, post a lot of content on LinkedIn. You can follow me there. Uh, my website is uh, luckcollective.com. Uh, email Kristen at luckcollective. Um, and if you want to learn more about Wire, it's womeninresearch.org is the best website. Great. Thank you so much, Kristen. I appreciate it again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, Brian, great interview, right? That was your best interview, I think. I appreciate it. Um, I had noticed that we use headphones this time because we Skyped Kristen in, and I did not get the, the creepy, sultry voice. I felt good. <laughs> Maybe I did. Good I don't job. know. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm learning how to do it. Episode 20. We figured it out. Um, <laughs> that does it for this episode of IntelliCast. Please join us at IIEX, June 11th through 13th. It'll be myself. Brian will be there as well. Jason Enderhe is a VMI. Andrew DeSillis of VMI. Tony Brown of VMI. We'll all be there. Um, hoping to talk to you about sample, the industry, sell you some stuff. It'd be great. Uh, and you can join us also on June 12th at Barrel House, right around the corner from the conference. Um, that night, we'll be recording a live episode of IntelliCast. We are not associated with IIEX. We learned this morning that there's another event going on. It is the, it is a sponsor of IAX. However, please come to our event. We'll buy you alcohol. It'll be great. And you'll have some fun stories, and we'll probably put you on the podcast. And then you can tell your friends, like, hey, I made it. I'm on a recording that um, 34 to 38 people listen to per week. And they'll love it. Uh, <laughs> along with that, Brian, anything to say before we go? I, I think I'm going to try to download Kristen's music. Like, I didn't even know what she was talking about, honestly. She's she's at a whole other level of music that we're not into in our office. She did say this is a really weird playlist, so I'm a little bit scared. Yeah. But I think I'm going to send her a little playlist of my own. Oh, yeah. 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 I don't know if you know, but maybe you've forgotten about Billy Joel. Or BTS. Uh, yeah. How you feel about K-pop? I love it. We're really into K-pop right now, so it's okay. Um, that does it for episode 20 of IntelliCast, and we look forward to hearing from you, and we'll talk to you next week. 
podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.